Hey everyone, welcome to Season 3, Episode 10 of the Centennial Podcast. Today, we got a bunch of topics lined up, as per usual. We have the Senators losing against Vancouver, but then bouncing back, beating both Carolina and Colorado, who are not slouch teams by any means, and uh, how some of our players stacked up in those matches. We're going to talk about Dorian making comments to the media about the whole rebuild is over statement that he made earlier in the season, uh, I believe prior to the season starting. We'll talk about whether Adam Gadet deserves more of a shot in the lineup and whether Thomas Shabbat should be someone who's considered for Team Canada at the upcoming Olympics. So let's just jump right into it and we'll uh, kick it off with the Sens losing against Vancouver by a pretty, pretty brutal game. It was like, what, 6-2? Uh, but they bounced back. They beat Carolina on the second half of the back-to-back. And then Saturday night, they uh, almost uh, almost give up the lead to lose, but they hold on and, and win in overtime. So, uh, Bennett, we'll kick it off with you. Uh, what did you think about the last few games uh, that the Sens have played here? Yeah, it's uh, it was a funny week. It started off with uh, that 6-2 loss to the Canucks on Wednesday night, which, uh, you know, Ian Mendez mentioned in one of his recent pieces was possibly the low point this season for the Sens. And I would probably agree, you know, the Canucks, uh, as evidenced by their uh, their moves in their front office and behind the bench this week, are also a team in crisis. And yet they looked like... Um, looks like a top team against us on Wednesday, which they are not. They're right down at the bottom there with us, but they styled on us that night, which was uh, pretty lame uh, to see. Uh, but the Zens bounced back. They claimed two, uh, you know, high-valued scalps against Carolina 3-2 on Thursday night, and then uh, a really fun 6-5 overtime win against Colorado on Saturday. And I was at that game. The atmosphere was great. It was a really fun watch. Probably the most fun. I mean, it's only the third game I've been to this season, but by far the most fun atmosphere um, and uh, the most uh, fun I had watching it. And uh, it was great to see, you know, um, Stutzla and Chuck both had two goals apiece and that win on Saturday. So that's some positive development, uh, you know, uh, we want to keep uh, we want to keep that rolling. We want those guys to be in amongst the goals uh, as much as possible, win or lose. And uh, you know we saw a bit of that on uh, on Saturday night. So long may it continue. What do you think, another Matt? How do you like uh, or dislike the way that the last week went? I couldn't have said it better myself if I had written it, Bennett. Um, I think you hit a lot of the points that a lot of us kind of needed. After that Vancouver loss, desperation was setting in for uh, for the coaching staff, for the players, for front office. Um, you know, you can't lose that many games. Uh, you can't get blown out that many games and uh, without a win, or at least looking like you have fight. And the games previous to that, they didn't have any. So being able to to bounce back from the Vancouver win uh, or Vancouver loss and then beating Carolina, who's, you know, cream of the crop in the NHL right now, and then uh, beating, um, you know, a Colorado team that's missing their, their number one. Uh, um, it, it's, it's nice. Um, so I think having that, it's given the players a little more confidence. Uh, it was great to see Stutzla score 
uh, two goals, get three points. Kachuk getting four points, two goals. Um, it was a good good weekend for for a lot of the players, and you hope to see um, those those uh, performances sort of keep keep happening. Um, but I mean, if we are in tank mode, we can't win too many games. So uh, I I also think we'll we'll probably you know lose. Uh, lose tonight's game maybe uh as long as as long as we're just in games our players are performing and and going from there it was nice to see forsberg steal a games against carolina but he was not the difference maker against colorado that's for sure uh i am no. surprised he's getting the start uh so, tonight yeah I'm thinking that they're just rolling with Forsberg because even though he hasn't, well, he didn't play well last game. I think it's just like the team won with him playing. So we're just going to play him again. And then Gus will get to come in against a a super struggling Islanders team. uh, And I will be at that game. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably why they went with that decision, but I agree. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do Gus then Forsberg, but I guess DJ's rolling with the guy who's getting wins right now. Forsberg's gotten two wins the last two games, so going to try him out, see how it goes. Hopefully he puts up a brick wall like he did against Toronto and Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Having goalies do their job is important. Um, against Colorado, Forsberg was a little lackluster, but we still got the win. Um, you're probably going to see... If he loses tonight's game, then they'll go back to Gus. I think Gus has been the better goalie of the three that we've had all season. But, you know, play what you can get and and sort of go from there. Uh, we'll see what what uh, the next couple of games brings. But, you know, go Suns go, I guess. All right. So then <laughs> that, that's like a, that should be a the motto for this season and be the title of this episode. Go sense go, I guess. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, we'll go on to uh, the rebuild being over comments that Dorian kind of backpedaled on. And I know we've spoken about this before, and I think we all believe to some degree that it was a little bit exaggerated by a lot of fans on what that actually meant. So Dorian comes out and basically corrects that and basically says that he shouldn't have said it the way he did. And that he was a little too excited uh, from the way last season ended. And, you know, essentially trying to say that that, that they expected more from the team and that uh, Colin white, Shane Pinto and Clark Bishop being out hurt them. Now, you could put some question marks beside Colin White and Clark Bishop. I, I know Col- uh, Colin White has a lot of people who are in his corner. I definitely am too. I, I thought he would have a bounce back season, but injuries again have really cut into his his uh, ability to show management that that he's really earning of that contract they gave him after his rookie season. So it's tough, but I think it's kind of funny that you're citing a player who's played 17 NHL games in Shane Pinto. Colin White, who has really struggled to really become more than just a third-line center or third-line right wing when he's been shifted there. And a guy who played, at, like, how many games for the Sens in a death roll? Like, he he played fine, but it's not like this guy is some fourth-liner, like Nick Bonino, for example, who is a guy who's just kind of made his way as being like a career third or fourth liner who's reliable, right? Like Clark Bishop's still so young and inexperienced. Like you can't really say that he'd be a huge needle mover. So I think it's just kind of odd 
And I think that Dorian definitely needs to take a little bit more blame for the roster makeup this season. I think even with Shane Pinto in the lineup and Colin White, this team is maybe close to 500, maybe. Like, and, and even that, I'm like saying in my head, I'm like, I, like it, it's rough. So anyway, I'll, I'll flip it over to you, other Matt, and you can talk about what you thought about uh, Dorian's comments. Um, I think they were pretty empty. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of substance to it. Um, when you're citing Clark Bishop being a detriment, uh, losing Clark Bishop being a detriment to your s- season. Uh, it just shows me you didn't do anything to improve your team in general. Colin White, I could, you know, I could see the argument. He is a defensively responsible player. So that could help in the all in all defensive game. Uh, I think he could have had the opportunity to play in a second line role if he was able to battle it out, but he got hurt way too quickly. So, and then Shane Pinto is a, is a rookie. He, you know, wasn't going to get the opportunity to play, especially after his, um, especially after his injury now. So it, it sucks to see that happening, but how are you, like holding the balance of your season on, on these three players. And, you know, to me, it just, it doesn't make sense. And then when he corrects himself saying like, well, the, the pieces of the future are in place, they're not in place. Uh, Sanderson hasn't come to the team yet. And you could make the argument. Yeah. He's in place by being a prospect, but, like you're still miles away from being a cup contending team. You're missing a true number one center. You're missing, uh, you know, two top six forwards and a capable, a group of capable uh, forwards in your bottom six. You're not seeing that you have bad contracts on your back end with Delzado, with Zaitsev. These these things shouldn't be a factor when your rebuild is over. And then he says, well, we're not going to be shipping off uh, soon-to-be UFAs for picks now. And I say, whoa, 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 hold on a second there. That's, you know, something that you should be doing because if they have no future with Ottawa, they need to be gone. And if you can get value for them, hell yeah do that as soon as you possibly can. Um, You know, like a guy like Dylan Gimbrell isn't fitting into our lineup in the next two or three years. If you get a seventh round pick for him, you do that. No question. Uh, You know, if somebody offers you a third round pick for Adam Gaudet, you absolutely do that. You know, there, you have to be smarter here. And Whenever Dorian comes to the the podium, he puts his foot in his mouth because he does things that don't really make sense. And and also, I mean, it was a Saturday morning presser. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it sounds like basically every media that Ottawa fans appreciate weren't uh, notified that it was happening. Uh, That's sketchy as hell. And like the, the, so you don't have uh, media asking questions that really get down to the meat and potatoes of the situation. And you just have, you know, 
um, water carrier journalists being there, not asking uh, hard hitting questions. And, you know, we get the same drivel. Uh, Ian Mendez had a, an amazing article, I believe, a week ago of the questions he would want to ask. And he says, do these seem unfair? Maybe a little bit, but they're justified. You know, they are very hard hitting questions, but you need to get to the bottom of what is going on. And and we just have not seen that from Pierre Dorian in the front office in general. Yeah, no, I think that was pretty well said, to be honest, but I'll let Bennett touch on it before I uh, say anything else. Yeah, uh, not too, too much to add to that. Uh, I mean, a couple of my impressions, um, these comments were, I think, in many respects, too little, too late. He provided more mixed messaging from the organization, uh, as well as more move goalposts. Um, you know, I think that uh, and Dorian made the point that he was caught up in the emotion of last season when he made his comments in the off season, which struck me as strange because, you know, it had been months since the end of the season. And then he only speaks to the media like three times a year if that. So it's not like he was caught off guard or anything. Like it wasn't an off the cuff moment. It was like a press release. Uh, so I, I think it was weird to kind of like say, Oh, I got caught up in the emotion of it. It's like, well, you assembled this team and then, you know, you were given a contract extension and you were asked to make some comments and stuff. It was kind of an unforced error on his part. If that is what he's getting at, you know, I maintain that I think he put together a winning team and is surprised at how, badly they're doing which again is more of an indictment than you know setting expectations too high and um i think his comments about some of the players underperforming kind of blaming a little he in fairness he said that the buck stops with him which sure it does but he did say you know without naming names that some players were underperforming i've said this before i don't agree the players we have aren't good enough you know, we, we shouldn't be winning most games. We should be mostly losing because the talent isn't there. And uh, to, to say that this team is underperforming is disingenuous, in my opinion. And uh, finally, to get to, to get to the moved goalposts aspect, you know, again, in Ian's piece in The Athletic, he made a great point about where Doyon said the team was going to be in a few years back in 2019. He was saying that, you know, in the next three seasons, you know, we'd be a basement team, then we'd be like a, like pushing for a playoff spot, then we'd be in the playoffs, and then, you know, we'd be contending for the playoffs. And we arguably have not progressed past stage one of that plan, despite the fact that, you know, the expectation was that by now we would be at least in the playoffs and hoping to start to do damage. And you know, as we've seen this season, we're miles from being at that stage. So, yeah, I think it's just like, a lot of a lot of mixed messaging, a lot of confusion, a lot of you know. It it seems obvious to me that the front office is uh, is scrambling. That this has caught them by surprise. They were not expecting to be where they are. And again, as I've stated time and again in the last few weeks, that worries me far more than the fact that we're at the bottom of the league. I I don't I don't mind that. I'm patient. I take the L, take the high pick. I'm all for it. But the fact that they seem to be here by accident rather than on purpose um, definitely uh, gives me some gray hairs. Well, honestly, I think that uh, just the team overperforming at the end of last season, like it was a lot of fun to watch. 
But I think that gave management this, again, false belief that the team was better than they were. And we saw this when they, after they traded for, or sorry, after they made it to the Eastern Conference final, right? They went out and they traded for Duchesne. They're like, at first, the team played really well to start the season, like through the first month, I think they were uh, playing fairly well. They had a couple of huge wins out West against Calgary and Edmonton, I think like 6-1 both games. They were looking on fire. Uh, And then the team started to struggle. And Dorian, instead of being like, okay, the team is struggling, um, like maybe this isn't where we want. He's like, no, 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 we just need one more piece to put us over the top and made the Matt Duchesne trade. And I mean, thankfully, the trade in hindsight doesn't look as bad now as it did at the time. Shane Bowers is like the only player from the first round, I think, in 2017 or one of the very few who hasn't been an NHL player yet. Uh, The first round pick turned into Bowen Byram, who's really struggled with injuries and concussions. And that's awful. But just the fact of the matter is he hasn't really been an impact player yet. And Bowen Byram is really the only notable piece that came out of that trade from Ottawa. Turris has also fallen off a cliff. So, I mean, that was kind of a side tangent, but in general, it's another misevaluation of where the team is at. And then he goes in the off season and the owner spills the beans that they're looking for a top four defenseman, top six forward. They don't do that. Now look where they end up. They're playing Stusla at center, which is fine. He's been Ottawa's uh, best defensive forward analytically, which is great. I am more than happy with that. Um, And he's looked very dangerous offensively, but you're putting him with two ideal third liners in Nick Paul and Connor Brown. Uh, I know last year, Connor Brown had like 20 plus goals and that's great, but Ideally, you have him on your third line and same with Nick Paul, ideally third or even fourth line. So I think having the talent have to play or sorry, having your depth players have to play up the lineup in roles where you'd have usually more skilled players has hurt the team. And then the total regression of players like Mette and even Josh Brown, who had a, I'm not the biggest Josh Brown fan, but he did have a good end last season. Uh, both those guys have regressed. And, and so it's just, and, and Zaitsev has even regressed from last season. Last season, he had okay defensive analytics. He's even regressed. So it's it's just a mess. And there's a lot of changes that have to come from the roster. And Dorian has to realize that he is the one who makes the personnel decisions. It can't be on the coach. The coach can't be telling him to trade for guys like Josh Brown or you know similar players to Austin Watson, who I know scored the other night, but... Generally, I find he doesn't add a ton to the lineup, and that might be an opinion that some people don't like, but I genuinely don't think he adds a ton other than maybe being a good locker room guy. But uh, yeah, I think he needs to make better personnel decisions, and uh, that's that's really my take on it. I know, other Matt, you were going to say something, so if you want to chime in, go for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, just to sort of finish that point off is, is it, comes back to you know them thinking they were going to be a better team and not doing anything to improve the team, just expecting it, uh, you know, to to be better. And and that's that's not a good thing. If you are a pro scout, you are a general manager. It's not a good thing. And and you know Dorian has put his foot in his mouth several times. And, you know, here we are yet again talking about how he's come up short whenever uh, he's he's attempting to add um, a solid uh, player that, that's a, been around the league and it isn't amateur drafting. Um, and, and so here we are. 
But I think one of the bigger takeaways uh, from that that presser is is the fact that you know media was not alerted about the fact that it was happening. Um, we've we we've seen plenty of of uh, credible uh, reporters in Ottawa left out of the conversation. Uh, you know, the senator's PR didn't put out a notice, not even like a, an hour until it's happening notice, uh, nothing at all. <laughs> and uh, the media that, you know, gets information uh, from the, the team consistently knew about it. But, you know, the guys from The Athletic, uh, Sylvain Celeron didn't get it. Um, you know, you're, you're hearing this more and more often. And this is just coming after, um, uh, Elliot Friedman basically putting ownership on blast, uh, on, on Friday, essentially saying like, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if the league stepped in and said, you know, you need to run things differently because this is not how an NHL team should be run. And that was, that was pretty significant. Um, and, oh, I think one of the things that we totally forgot about is there were uh, whispers that uh, Melnick was taking offers on the Sens. Uh, and and all of this snowballed it, cumulatively to here. Um, you know, the NCC announcement, this ownership uh, rumblings, you have uh, this this presser finally happening after you know months of being asked for it. Um, it's all weird. Uh, I don't know what the heck is going on with the sends, um, but having some sort of of like pick and choose uh, the the media you let in because they you know carry the water for you and the others can't be there. That's not acceptable. Yeah. And on top of that, you have media members and just going to put this out there before, before I get into it, but you know, Gord Wilson, who I think is a well-respected guy in the Senator's media community, uh, you know, he went on TSN 1200 on the pregame before the Colorado game and Sean Simpson was on there and, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, everyone on Twitter seems to think that being a GM is easy. And then Sean Simpson he was just kind of like, well, you know, it's been five years and like what success has Dorian really brought to the table? Like it's a results oriented business and he's not wrong. It is. And Dorian hasn't brought the results. Yes. I know he does scorched earth rebuild. I know that the team is still very young with most of their core being under 25. Uh, you know, that that's definitely something to remember. Uh, but he was right. And Gord Wilson almost was upset that Sean Simpson was saying these things and was saying, you know, at some point the narrative on the station has to change and Ottawa can't attract free agents. So he's like on the top of the show, you guys are talking about bringing in Nazem Kadri and, you know, why would he want to come to Ottawa and stuff? And it's like, Whoa, like why are you getting so defensive for Dorian? Like, yes, Dorian has done things that aren't awful, you know, um, trading Derek Broussard and now having Gustafson and Jacob Bernard Thompson, uh, sorry, Jacob Bernard Docker, um, getting both those guys out of that trade. Like that, that was good. Like in hindsight, that was good. And, uh, anyway, but you know, you can't constantly hold water for him and, and just say, yeah, pat on the back. He's doing a good job. It's hard to be a GM. It's like, man, look at Benning out, you know, he's not getting the results. Uh, Travis green, 
Elaine Vigneault, all these guys being fired, Mark Bergevin, like teams who are underperforming are like, you know what? We got to shake things up. It doesn't matter about tenure. It doesn't matter about loyalty or, or whatever. Like if it's not working, something has to change. And I'm not saying to blow up the entire front office or coaching, but you know, you could make the argument for that, but something does need to change. And and I'm not sure why some media members are so hell-bent on defending the organization when it's very evident that they should be further along than they are right now. Yeah. Um, we The conversation has kind of passed by a little bit. I'll, I'll just add the clarification that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think that the answers we received from Dorian on Saturday morning would have been substantially different whether, you know, uh, different media people were there than the people who were there. I mean, I, I don't, I'm under no illusion that, you know, if, if Ian Mendez or, or, you know, Sylvain Saint Laurent had been there, that they would have gotten Dorian to, to really spill the beans. I mean, I, no matter what questions they asked, we would have had the same answers. But that being said, uh, I think both you guys are spot on with, you know, the state, the state of things and how, topsy-turvy can be to be a Stens fan at times, you know, like in one week, you know, the crazy highs, lows, and zigzags of ownership rumors mixed with beating Colorado on Saturday night, mixed with, you know, the weird press conference vibes, mixed with, mixed with, mixed with, you know, it's just like, just such a weird, you know, maelstrom of like emotions and news and stuff. It's like, we're missing another Melnick lawsuit to complete the bingo card. But then, you know, we would have had it all this week. Uh, you know, poor, poor on ice prefer- performance mixed, mixed with big win, mixed with ownership, mixed with all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the answer, the answer to your question, Matt, why can't we blow it up? It's like we alluded to this in the last episode. We can't. There's no, we can't attract free agent talent here. We can't attract front office talent here. You know, who would we, who would we get that would agree to work with Melnick? Jacques Martin, come on. Who, who would we get to come in as GM with the, you know, offering them a package of probably worse pay than they'd get at any of the other 31 teams in the league, you know, uh, with a fan coming into a fan base that are angry, coming into a situation where you know, you have an owner who's reticent to to spend money, knowing that you know you have a lackluster arena in like a smaller market than you than a lot of other teams in the league. Uh, it is not an attractive position, and when you know that you have an owner who likes to meddle, likes to put people on blast in the media, you know who's going to make your job difficult more often than he's going to make it easy. Uh, I, I don't I don't see a situation where we can just get rid of Dorian and replace him with like someone good. Like the best we can get is they'll like promote somebody from within who is maybe slightly better, but still not like an actual real talent acquisition to take this team forward. You know, this team only promotes from within basically, you know, uh, when it comes to front offices, front office positions. So you're you're talking about a hiring pool of like 20 guys instead of when Montreal is looking to hire a new a new GM where their hiring pool is everyone in the entire hockey world. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think honestly, speaking about Montreal, that Jeff Gordon hire was pretty savvy. And I know that they wanted a GM who's bilingual or French speaking, but to have Jeff Gordon like kind of pulling the hockey op strings 
that was a pretty savvy move. Um, and immediately, you know, you see him pick up uh, Kale Clagg off waivers. And he's a left-hand defenseman who has five assists through 11 games this season. He's 23 years old. He's he's almost like um, when the Sens picked up Mete off waivers last year. He's one of those guys who is definitely underrated and was only put on waivers because LA had Drew Doughty coming back to the lineup and he was just the easy guy to put on waivers. And so, you know, a pickup like that, Honestly, Ottawa should have been all over that. Uh, I, I really think that Clegg has the potential to be a solid top four guy. And, you know, if the Sens are looking to upgrade on Mete, who was scratched last game, uh, Clegg has that capability to move the puck and he's taller. And I know the Sens like guys that are taller and all that, right? So they, they don't like the, the small guys. Um, if DJ Smith had a Tinder bio, it would be like, you know, don't message if not six feet kind of thing. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but on the coaching side, I, I agree with you. It, it's definitely a smaller pool that Ottawa can pick from. And, uh, you know, you basically have to get guys who are either coming up and trying to make a name for themselves in the league, like DJ Smith, um, you know, hiring or promoting someone like Troy Mann. I, I could honestly see Troy Mann coming up from Belleville and being our next head coach. Like it just, it seems so likely in my mind that that is on the table. Um, not this season, but potentially next season. Uh, and then beyond that, like you look at coaches, it's either that or you have to get someone who's outside of the NHL who hasn't been in a while, like Guy Boucher. And Guy Boucher did a great job in his first season with the Sens. So I won't knock him on that. But again, he wasn't in the league anymore. He'd been out of the league for a little bit. Uh, so, like, could the Senators get someone like Jacques Martin or or Claude Julien? Um, you know, Elaine Vigneault now out of a job. Travis Green. No, like, I'm, not, I'm staying way no, far away from Elaine Vigneault. No, no, I, I totally understand, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, the, the guys that Otto has a choice of are guys who um, don't have a position in the league or are at a low in terms of where they're at as a coach, right? Um, anyway, it, it, I don't really know what else to add to that, but I'm just kind of agreeing with Bennett here, you basically are making budget hires or yep. hiring from within. And it's hard to really get a coach. Um, like, you know, the Islanders, for example, they hire Barry Trotz immediately. He makes an impact and they actually become a team that can contend in the playoffs. Unfortunately, you know, they lose twice in game sevens to Tampa Bay over the last couple of years, but they're right there. Right. And this season they've struggled, but my point stands. You get a good coach, you see results. So mm-hmm. I'll leave it there. I don't want to ramble too long. Um, I know that we're kind of running short on time, so maybe we'll kind of skip Adam Gadet. And um, well, I mean, we could just say, do you think Adam Gadet should be in the lineup over guys like Austin Watson, Dylan Gambrell, and and a bunch of other bums? Absolutely. Like the guy had thirty points on the Canucks. Uh, in a shortened season, you know, Canucks fans really liked him. Chicago fans apparently really liked him. Uh, I think there's a he he has a greater ability to to be like so one of the pieces you could move or like could move ahead with uh, over. You know, like I don't know about you guys, but Austin Watson has not played well really at all this season. Um, even his fighting is is pretty mediocre. Uh, I, I think he's lost his last seven, uh, you know, in the fight, uh, the fight categories that people uh, have him doing them in. But the, the fact stands is that Adam Gadet can score. He, he can do quite a few things. Yeah, he had a bad defensive game, but 
you know, give the guy a chance to to maybe explore what you have in this player because you you made the claim for a reason, and so like do something with it. Yeah, yeah, give him a look. I mean, like you say, Austin Watson um, is just getting his shit kicked in this year. Um, he's got like one point. Uh, he's a minus five. His yeah. Corsi is like thirty four point eight percent. Um, you know, like as you said, uh, Godet did not have a great defensive game in his debut against the Canucks, yeah. but he did get a nice goal. So you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Like we've said before, like listen, like I don't care about how the team does in the standings this year. Like as long as we're seeing some growth and some positive signs, and we're seeing the needle move on where this roster, the direction that this roster is going in, then I'm happy. So if you throw Godet in there, he chips in with some points here and there, and he, you know helps make this team a little bit better. You know, if we're, if we're still losing games, I'm not fussed about it. Yeah. And, uh, all right, well, let's touch on the the last thing for de- today, and it's Thomas Shabbat. And should he be chosen by Team Canada this year for the Olympics? And, Ben, I know you had a list of the current defensemen, so did you want to just read those off and then we can kind of say, like, where we think Shabbat stacks up or, or fits in there? For sure, yeah. And obviously, you know, it's all Team Canada lineups are perspective right now. I think they've only named like three players and I think only Petrangelo was the only defenseman of those three that they named that would actually be on the team. Has anything come out since then? Or I haven't seen it. Not that I know of, Okay. Yeah, so basically, uh, I was just reading uh, this week's Sportsnet published published a piece about speculating about lineups and lines and stuff like that for Team Canada. They had the following three defensive pairings. Uh, a first pairing of Shea Theodore and Kale McCarr, a second pairing of Dougie Hamilton and Alex Petrangelo, and a third pairing of Morgan Riley and Aaron Ekblad, um, who's having a monster season in Florida. Uh, so if you're with, when your third pairing is Morgan Riley and Aaron Ekblad, uh, that's, that's a hell of a defensive core. Uh, as usual, Team Canada is, uh, you know, extremely stacked. Um, bubble defensive candidates include Shabbat, obviously, uh, Devin Taves, Crystal Tang, Mackenzie Weger, um, Darnell Nurse. Um, and I say this as, you know, Thomas Shabbat is my favorite player on this team. I have a Shabbat jersey. You know, I love the guy. I don't see a path for him. You know, this this defensive core is it's just it's too stacked. I mean, like the only person he could edge out of here on current form would maybe be Morgan Riley. And I mean, I would put Devin Taves in there first or Mackenzie Weger. Uh, so, uh, or even don't know this. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't really see a path for him. Um, if he was of any other nationality, he'd probably walk in onto the team. But it's Canada. I mean, like we we are ludicrously deep in every position. I mean, what can yeah. you do? Yeah, uh, I mean, in my personal opinion, I think Shabbat probably just doesn't stand out as much as Morgan Riley because of the market he's in. But I personally think you look at Thomas Shabbat; he has been a complete defenseman this year he has dominated offensively yes he's had a few defensive gaffes but overall he's looked very solid defensively shutting down nathan mckinnon the other night especially on that one rush where nathan mckinnon tried to beat shabbat on the outside and shabbat managed to stay with him and pocheck the puck to the corner like he was looking good and nathan mckinnon is no slouch that's that's a hard player to play against one of the best in the league so you know, I think Thomas Shabbat, in my mind, definitely beats out Morgan Riley. Uh, now you're talking about Uyghur, Nurse. There's other guys on there who you could really pencil in as getting that fifth, sixth spot. But I, I genuinely think that is, if Thomas Shabbat, if the 
abilities that he shows out on the ice were translating to a few more points out there this year, he would be a lock. Or if he was on Toronto, you know, that's my personal opinion, but yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, two things, you know, put taking off my uh, sense fan hat and putting on my Canada fan hat. Uh, I think there's maybe like a lot to be said for just taking that top line from Florida uh, you know, and like of, you know, uh, that top pairing of Florida of like Uyghur and Ekblad, just make that a, a stupid third pairing uh, would be great. And taking off the Canada hat and putting the sense hat back on. Honestly, the guy's playing 30 minutes a night. Is it the worst thing in the world to give him fucking three weeks off in the middle of the season? You know, watch some Netflix, have an ice bath, like fucking take care of himself for a bit before DJ Smith throws him to the fucking, into the fucking trenches again as soon as he comes back. I don't hate the idea of Shabbat not making the team because like he's underappreciated by the rest of the league and him getting to just rest up and chill and you know have a bit of a break during the season i I, the last thing we want is to send him to the olympics he gets injured and then our season which is already off the rails you know flies even further off the rails and ends up in like a pit of lava or something wow yeah (laughs) (laughs) Bennett Bennett's used up our uh our amount of swears that we're allowed to have per month so uh there's that (laughs) you love to see it um yeah, I, I mean, I I agree that I think his his path is going to be a little more difficult. Uh, if he continues to play the way he has, I think he has a legitimate case. But you're right. You know, would uh, a couple weeks off from from being the most uh, played NHL D man in 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 the league uh, is a bad thing? No, not at all. So if he plays great, we have something to look forward to for Canada games because they're going to win. Um, and if he doesn't, then we can just enjoy the enjoy the show and get yep. to see Germany uh, and our our young son uh, Jimmy <laughs> and and our American father uh, Brady. and on that note thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode we appreciate you uh thanks for checking us out not in that way you pervs uh no i'm just kidding bad joke i know get me out of here oh my god (laughs) uh you can find us everywhere i guess on social media reddit uh, discord facebook twitter instagram all the stuffs uh find us on there find us on youtube at sensenio podcast thank you for listening and go sends go go sends go i guess I, i guess (laughs) Questions go, I guess.